Welcome to Harrison Church. Each day this week, Senior Pastor Shane Page will be releasing a Biblical Simplicity Challenge. Check out our Harrison Facebook page each day for a short video, or you can listen here on the podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Amen. Happy Easter, everyone. Thank you, Charles. Hey, it's good to be back. What's up with this? This is great. You know, it's, it reminds me of the story in the Old Testament when Moses, the senior pastor, leaves the congregation for a little while, and the associate pastor, Aaron, made a calf uh, in his absence. But you didn't make a calf, you just changed the altar. I love it, though. Welcome, everyone. Uh, if you were here last week and you're with us this week, my name is Shane. I'm uh, usually up here preaching on Sundays, and it is good to be here through the Easter season. we got another Easter story we're going to reflect on together. I do want to let you know that uh, next week I'm going to start a new sermon series And we're going to entitle this sermon series, Off the Grid. You ever heard that expression before? I heard someone say, uh, I wish I could live off the grid. And then I said, uh, that's exactly the summary of what the Bible calls Christians to do. And what does it look like to live off the grid? So we're going to spend about five or six weeks just talking about, hey, how can we be a little different from the culture? And what are those characteristics? But uh, it's great to be here in the house of the Lord. I am going to be reading this morning from the 21st chapter of John's Gospel. The words will be behind me here on the screen. I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of the Gospel this morning. Good news for Easter. So after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught what? Nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. That's one of the things that's interesting about all the resurrection appearances of Jesus. They never recognize him when he shows up. Jesus said to them, children, that's tender, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there. I'm going to come back to that charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of just large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and 
Someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And after this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. You know, uh, if you ever get a chance to join me uh, to another trip to Israel, or if you ever get a chance to visit Israel yourself, one of the uh, sites that you will no doubt visit is right off the shores of the Sea of Galilee. We call it the sea. It's really just a big lake. It's fresh water. And uh, right there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, there is this little chapel there. And it's located on a spot called the Primacy of Peter. The Primacy of Peter. And right in front of this little chapel there uh, is this sculpture of, of Jesus. Now, I've got a picture of this for you right here. There's this, like, this little sculpture, and there's the Sea of Galilee behind you, big lake. And it's Jesus, right? He's holding uh, up his hand in like a blessing. And, and who's he blessing right there? Anybody guess? It's Peter. He's blessing Peter. And it's really a recap Supposedly the site where the lesson I just read to you occurred. Now, there are dozens of other sites in Israel that have far more history than this site. But for me, your pastor, there is no other site in all of Israel that has more meaning for me than this one. All right, in our lesson, Peter, uh, the disciple, Jesus has already appeared uh, to Peter before, the other disciples. And then Peter says, I am going fishing. That's funny. Now, fishing, as most of you know, this is not recreation. For Peter, this was what? This was his job that he uh, had to do before Jesus called him. So this is uh, Peter's way of clocking in. So he goes to work. It's a tough night on the job. How many fish did they catch? None. Then Jesus appears to the disciples, tells them, they didn't know it was him, tells them to cast the net on the right side of the boat. Now, if you read the other Gospels, this is exactly the way Jesus first called the disciples cast your net. And then as soon as they did what Jesus said, they had this huge haul of fish, so much so that they could not even lift it out of the water. Just amazing. I was thinking this week that one of these days, I am going to preach a sermon just on that part of the story. And here's what I'm going to say. You can record this. Hold me to it. And here's going to be the whole point of my sermon. It's going to be this. Wherever Jesus Christ appears, there is always abundance. Wherever Jesus shows up, there's always abundance. All over the Gospels. They ran out of wine at the wedding. Jesus showed up. What happens? Oh, they had gallons and gallons of wine. Oh, they ran out of bread. Oh, we just got just a couple of loaves of of bread and fish. And then Jesus shows up. What happens? Oh, they fed multitudes of people, over 5,000 people. They didn't catch any fish. And then Jesus shows up, and then they can't contain the net. So I will say in the sermon one day that I'm going to preach, not today, but I'm going to say, hey, to know the risen Christ is to know abundance. That's who Jesus is. Now, I have been on vacation for the last uh, uh, week. Thanks to you. Thanks to Pastor Kyle, who did a great job last week for letting me do this. I read a bunch of books uh, just laid on the couch uh, all week long. And uh, one of the books that I read uh, by this author, and in this book, he, uh, he decided to uh, interview and to talk to, to two sets of people. Both sets of people lived in about the same area. They made the same kind of income. But one set, we'll say this set of people, 
They looked at the world as like a terrible, fearful, awful place. The world's going to a you know, going in a you know what to you know where, and uh, just a terrible, scarce, fearful place. They just held on tightly to everything. It was all about survival. And then this author talked to this other set of people who knew the hardships of the other set. It's not like they were the, all their lives were just great, but yet they saw the world as a place of freedom and plenty and and abundance, and, and they lived differently, and, and they knew that this was the case. And then the author in this book says that the only difference between these two sets of people, the only difference was how they saw the world. One saw the world, same world that we're looking at, saw the world as a scary, fearful place, and you just got to hold on to everything. Oh, it's, it's just you just got to survive. But, but then the other set of the people looked at the same world, and, and yet they saw within it more than enough, and it was plenty, and it was an abundance of, of, of people. And it's all on how we see the world. Now, if you were here on Easter Sunday, um, one of the things I remember saying in my sermon, you might remember this, is I said, you know, in, in John's gospel especially, when God raised Jesus, Easter was more than God raising one man from the grave. What I ended up saying is that way, the way John crafts the story is that God, God actually, actually brought to be a, an entirely new creation. You know, it was a whole new world that, that Jesus brought to be. That's what Easter is. It's, it's a new creation uh, uh, among us. And then I said in my sermon, but I can't point it to you. I, say, I, just, I just can't say, well, there it is. Don't y'all see it? I can't say that at all. What I ended up saying was it's a world, this new world that God has created. You just got to step into it yourself. You got to be converted to see this world. And one of the things I'm going to say in that sermon I'm going to preach maybe next year on this story is that you can tell when you've had an encounter with the risen Christ. You know when the risen Jesus is in your life when you stop talking like the disciples saying there's nothing and when you start saying there's more than enough. And the question I will ask in that sermon is, which world do you live in? Do you live in an abundant world where Jesus is with you? Or do you live in a world of scarcity? If you live in a world of scarcity, you need to be converted. Which world do you live in? But I'm not going to preach that sermon today. What I'm going to do is concentrate on the second half of this beautiful story. All right, so Jesus appears to his followers, and he, he makes them a meal on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Isn't it funny how the risen Christ just wants to feed his friends? He feeds them, wants to give them a meal. And then John says, as I told you, Jesus is in front of a charcoal fire. It's a huge clue on how to read this story. And then right in front of that charcoal fire, Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Several years ago, I uh, attended a seminar for clergy, and uh, we heard a bunch of speakers. And one of the speakers in this uh, seminar was a licensed counselor. And uh, he talked about how you and I in our lives, there's something that he called, we have a tendency to relive the scene of a previous accident. Like something traumatic happens to you over here, then the years go by. And then all of a sudden, the, your environment, you find yourself in kind of an environment that reminds you of that traumatic experience, and then it's as if you are reliving that trauma again. He says that people can go through this. Churches can actually go through this. 
they can relive scenes of previous accidents. It looks like it's happening again. And I heard this, and it clicked with me that my experience, maybe you're with me, it proves that this is actually true. This has happened. Uh, Several years ago, uh, my wife and I with Jordan, she was uh, about a year old, maybe a little bit under. Davis wasn't born yet. And we were coming back from Kansas, and then we were driving back home. I remember we were going through this city. It might have been Greensboro. I can't remember where it was, but it was just pouring down rain. So we were driving, and I had to merge onto Interstate 40. And I remember going up uh, the ramp, and it's just pouring down rain. Of course, the traffic is going like this. This is the interstate, and I'm coming up this way. And as I'm coming up, there's a, a car that was coming this way, and I guess uh, she, she hydroplaned, and she skidded, you know, going 60 miles an hour, and just slammed into us this way, sent us into the emergency lane, kind of next to the guardrail. We were all fine. We were all okay. Jordan remembers that. I got to wear the state trooper's hat. She loved it. And, but the reason I tell you this is because, you know, every time I merge onto the interstate, I think about that accident. I relive the scene of that traumatic experience. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because Peter, in our story today, had to relive the scene of his worst accident. The last time we find Peter in the Gospel of John in front of a charcoal fire, you know what he was doing? He denied he even knew Jesus three times. And now in front of a charcoal fire, Jesus had to confront the very man, his Savior, his friend, that he let down. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You know, in that moment, Peter had to confront his greatest failure of his life. Peter had to confront his hypocrisy. I mean, after all, Peter was the one who was so sure of himself. I will never let you down, Lord. I will always be by your side. And and yet he had to confront that he turned his back on his friend. Maybe when Jesus needed him the most, Jesus asked three times, do you love me? And then it grieved Peter. It hurt him. He didn't say, I don't know the man this time. He said, Lord, you know that I do. And it, it just, it was breaking his heart. And then Jesus says to Peter, Peter, follow me. What a moment of grace this is. You know, I used to get on Peter's case all the time at the very beginning of the story. You know, he says to the disciples, I am going fishing. I used to think, going fishing after you have encountered the risen Christ? What a bonehead. But, you know, this week, for the first time, I thought to myself, hey, maybe the reason Peter said I need to go fishing, remember that was his previous work before Jesus called him, maybe the reason Peter thought he had to go fishing is because maybe he thought that's the only thing he can do now. Like Jesus had so many hopes for Peter, right? He was going to be the rock on which Jesus was going to build his church. Boy, Peter, you are going to have an amazing future. And could it be, even though... The risen Christ had already appeared to him before. Could it be the case that Peter thought, well, I, that future's over? Like, I threw it away. I got to go back to what I was doing beforehand. I've, I've let Jesus down too much. And, and yet in this story, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? And then he says, follow me. In other words, what, 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 what 
Jesus is saying to Peter is, is Peter, you can still be my disciple. Peter, it's not the end, my friend. Yes, you failed me. You failed. But your failure is not stronger than my call over your life. This is the tenderest moment I can think of in all the gospel. It's just so moving. Jesus ensured that what Peter did was not going to determine who Peter was going to be for the rest of his life. I was thinking uh, this week, one of my favorite uh, Christian thinkers, uh, he said something. He was reflecting on this very story, and I want to make sure I get this right. He said this. He says that uh, this encounter between Jesus and Peter uh, it, it shows us that even our own denials and our own betrayals of Jesus are not the ultimate facts of our discipleship anymore. I was thinking, wow, ultimate facts, what does that mean? Sometimes, sometimes we can start thinking about some sin that we have committed in our lives, something that we have done in our past that still haunts us to this day. Sometimes we can think those sins or that sin is like the most determinative thing about us. Like it's the thing that really marks us out, like the story of our lives. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer, I could not find where he said this, but I know he said this. He says, sometimes you and I, what we will end up doing is, is we will build an altar to our sins. In other words, we'll think our sin is just so powerful, it's just so great, God cannot possibly forgive me for this. And he says, what we're doing is, is we're actually building kind of an altar to our sins, and we think that uh, God's grace is not big enough to correct what we have done in our past. And so C.S. Lewis says we kind of worship our sins without knowing it more than we are worshiping the grace of God. You know, I've, I've seen this before. I think I shared this with you a few years ago. Some of you weren't here. I'll, I'll, I'll share with you the story again. It's the most touching moment of my ministry so far. I've been visiting a parishioner at another church that I'd served for some time. We've gotten to know each other. And on this particular visit, in just a moment of sheer vulnerability, she confessed to me something that she had done decades before. And through these copious tears, she said this. She said, I know God can never forgive me for what I did. I just know it. And I did not immediately go, well, there, 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 there. I I just kind of sat for a moment. And then I remember asking her a question. I, I said, what do you think is the worst thing? that we can do to the Lord? And she said, what I did is the worst thing. I said, no, no, no. I said, the worst thing that we could really do to the Lord is deny Him, betray Him, put Him to death. And according to the gospel story, that's what we did. And on Easter, Jesus was raised just so He could say to the people like us who did that, I forgive you. And then I said to her, I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, your sin is forgiven. The ultimate fact of our existence is not what we have done and how we have failed. It is the grace of the risen Christ. That's the ultimate fact of our existence. I think that's the reason why 
Um, can you put that picture back up for me, Patty? I'm sorry. I think that's why that scene for me is the most meaningful in my trip because I got to tell you, let's confess a little bit. I, I kind of know what it's like to be the Peter character in the story. Yeah, there was a time in my life, you know, I went to church, I sang the hymns, I survived confirmation to please my grandmother. And, and I can remember for many years, for many years after that, you know, I didn't, I didn't care about Jesus. I didn't care about the church. You know what I cared about? I just cared about doing my own thing, looking out for number one, trying to find a way to get ahead because that's what I really wanted to do. In other words, I lived my life. You know what my, the story of my life really was at that time? It was as if I was living, Jesus, I don't know the man. Never met him. He's in a shoebox somewhere at the house. And when I, when I see that, I remember the time, and I've told some, some of you about this, I remember the time when, I don't know, it's as if Jesus appeared to me again many years later and, and said, Shane, do you love me? And I, I remember just breaking down because I realized I was a failure, right? I was a failure of a disciple, just a total failure. There was hardly any Christ-likeness in me at all. And, and I thought about that, and it was as if I was saying in my soul, Lord, you know that I do. And it was as if Jesus said to me, follow me. Follow me. You wouldn't have given two beans for where I was and for where I am now. It was as if Jesus called me again for the first time. You know, we all have our denials of Jesus. Uh, some of us might say, well, I've never denied Jesus. I've always kind of been for the Lord. I've always kind of said Jesus is the one. But oh, let's just be serious. Let's be honest with ourselves. I mean, there have been moments in all of our lives, if we were going to confess, where, you know, we've had an opportunity to help somebody, but we didn't do it because what we did instead, we just kept driving or we just kept walking. Or maybe we have said something extremely hurtful to someone, and it may be someone we have loved very dearly. Or maybe we have broken a promise. Maybe we have broken a vow. We've just acted in pure self-interest. Or maybe we've been like Judas, where we've wanted the money more than we've wanted Jesus. And, and on Easter, you know, Jesus showed up to say, do you love me? Because if you can say yes, I got some food for you. On Easter, Jesus just wanted to restore his friendship with the people who had failed him. I am so grateful that Jesus called a failure like Peter because that means... God can call a failure like me. Do you love him? Whenever we fail Jesus, he's not going to say anything more than that. Notice that you know, Jesus did not berate Peter. Now, explain yourself, young man. He didn't take him to task. He just said, do you love me? And my question to you is, do you love him? You're here today, I think, in some way because you love the Lord. Maybe you don't know how to express that or articulate that, but you love him. And, and what the risen Christ wants to say to you today is, is that however you have failed and denied your Savior, that's not the end of the story. If you can say you love the Lord, you can move on. You can move on.
Jesus will not take the pain of the past away, but he will open for you a new future where you can follow him. So if you can say you love the Lord, I can say to you, welcome back. It's not over. So let's eat with our Lord today. I'm going to ask the servers to come forward. One of you serving with me, I'm going to need you to stand with me because Kyle can't be here right now. But let's, uh, let's eat with the Lord. Let's all right now acknowledge that we have failed our Savior in so many ways, but today he just says, well, hey, do you love me? <laughs> it's not over. So, Lord, pour out your Spirit on us gathered here. We are the people who have let you down, and we have failed you, and we have lived as if we did not know who you were. Forgive us, Lord. And make these elements be for us right now the body and blood of Christ, that, that we might be joined to your body and to your blood, that we might be for the world that body of Christ. Lord, I pray that we will come to your table to have some breakfast with you. You're here with us, and I pray that you will speak a word of grace to everyone who eats with you, and that they can say, yes, Lord, I love you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Harrison Church. To stay connected to Harrison Happenings, please follow us on Facebook or Twitter at HarrisonUMC or online at harrisonchurch.org.